Nothing compares to the promise we have in Christ. I trust that is your testimony as well. Well, we are continuing in our study of the saga of Joseph in Egypt. We're to chapter 39, having made our way through chapters 37 and 38 so far. We'll take a couple of weeks to look at chapter 39, beginning today and ending, uh, concluding next Lord's Day, uh, Lord willing. And then following that is the annual celebration of the resurrection. Every Sunday, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. We all celebrate the resurrection. Uh, we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Christ rose on the first day of the week. But yet we have this annual celebration, and we will glory in that in a couple of weeks from now, I believe. So let's uh, read 12 verses, the first 12 verses of chapter 39. <clears throat> now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, he is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in None of, the, none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This is the Word of God. Oh Lord, Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is truth. It is the bread upon which we feed Thank you, O Lord God, that we do not walk in darkness, but we have Christ, the light of the world, and we have the light of His Word, the revelation of our God and truth and the way in which we should walk. Lord, give us courage, for you are faithful, and if we are faithless, you will still be faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. So give us bold courage to stand faithful as believers in Christ against the onslaught 
of all the wicked ways of the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen so far that as a young man of only 17 years of age, Joseph was cruelly taken from his father and from his brother and from his home, and he was sold to his enemies, the Ishmaelites, and they dragged him down to Egypt and then sold him to the government there to become a slave for the rest of his life. Still only a teenager, 17 years old. And I imagine, we're not told this, but I imagine he must have asked himself many times, what on earth had happened? I mean, Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite wife. Jacob being the son of Isaac. Isaac being the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being the recipients of God's promise. Okay? The chosen family. And God had given to Joseph not one, but two dreams revealing this glorious future. But as he had been brought down, 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 think of it that way, to Egypt, it must have seen that his dreams were crushed into powder. Well, years later, Joseph would understand that God himself was the director of all these events, from the dream, from the giving of the dream, to the fulfillment of it, the reality of it coming to pass. Divine providence was sovereignly guiding every event, every detail, every day that it would work out according to God's own purposes and plan. Even Joseph would later on say, God meant these things for good. God had not abandoned Joseph, whatever the appearance. In fact, it was quite the opposite. God was present with him. The Holy Spirit tells us that immediately in verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. When Joseph had been banished to Egypt, when Joseph had been cruelly taken from his family and dragged down to Egypt, it's like the Lord was in that caravan going with him. Okay? And God's presence with Joseph there in Egypt made all the difference in the world. Again, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Notice the cause and effect. Because the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph was successful. Joseph was prosperous. And those whom Joseph served were also prosperous. Okay? You can do a search these days quite easily using uh, the internet or computers. Uh, electronics, and look up, try to find the places in the Bible where the phrase occurs, the Lord was with somebody. Besides Joseph, it, it, it occurs, it's told with Joshua, okay, the Lord was with Joshua. It's used with regard in Judges 1 with regard to the tribe of Judah and the house of Joseph. It's used with the judges in Judges chapter 2, with Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, with kings like David and Solomon and Hezekiah, with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, and with, with King Jehoshaphat, which I'll mention a little bit later. And in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 11, with regard to some who preach the gospel to certain Greeks. And when you, when you look up the context of those times, those occurrences where that 
where the, where the phrase is told, where the phrase is given, the Lord is with these people, in every case, success was the result of God being present with those people. For example, 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. In 2 Kings 18, with regard to Hezekiah, and the Lord was with him wherever he went, he prospered. Well, it's not just in the Old Testament, it's the New as well. I mentioned Acts. Here's Acts 11, verse 21. The hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The early church experienced a great number of conversions, a great number of people turning to the Lord and becoming members of the church because what? The Lord was with them. And so we're told straight away and in plain language that the reason for Joseph's success, his prosperity in Egypt, even as a slave, was because the Lord was with him. In fact, Stephen makes, his, makes that point in his, his exhortation in, in Acts 7. He, he said, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's God who caused Joseph, or who caused Potiphar and Pharaoh to favor Joseph, okay? So often, we assume that we are successful because we're so clever. You know, we're smart. We went to Georgia, or we went to Auburn, or we went to whatever your favorite place is, Alabama, Georgia Tech, whatever, I don't care, okay? And maybe you are clever, maybe you are brilliant, but who gave you those gifts? Who gave you that brilliance? Who allowed you to go to these schools, okay? Who allowed you to marry that amazing woman, <laughs> right? Like I did. God gave you those gifts. Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? It's a rhetorical question. Don't seek to answer it. The answer is nothing. You know, Paul's doctrine was always founded in, in the Old Testament. And he may have been thinking about what Moses said, or the testimony in the days of Moses. And Moses was pretty sure that the Israelites would think, you know what, you're going to think it's your own strength, your own power that gives you victory, that caused you to conquer the Canaanites. Now, he said, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers. We must have God's presence if we are to be faithful to Him and faithful to His calling, it, not just in ministry, but in work, in family, in marriage, in our church, in temptation. And so what is incredible is that in the gospel, God's presence is promised to us. What is one of the names of Jesus? Declared at His Coming birth, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And we have given by Christ His Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That's the intimacy of the, the relationship we have with God or, or the, the presence of God with us. In, in one sense, we have a more intimate relationship with God, a more intimate presence than Joseph did. We have the Spirit dwelling within us. 
Okay, So he is with his people as he was with Joseph. But it could also be said that Joseph was with the Lord, meaning Joseph sought the Lord. Okay, He was the branch that clings to the vine, like John 15. Okay, He pursued God. He sought God. And as a result of that, well, he would find out, as Paul would say later on, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure this Egyptian slavery, this alienation from my home and my family through Christ who strengthens me. So you can't wait until a trial comes into your life before you start seeking the Lord. You must seek the Lord now, all the time. That's what Jehoshaphat did, King Jehoshaphat. We read in Chronicles, I believe it is, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. Notice that actively he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments. That was his path, his way, his choices, and not according to the practices of Israel. And then later on, when Jehoshaphat got in trouble, when enemies, powerful enemies allied themselves against him to destroy him, well, he knew what to do because he knew who to seek. We're told Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. That's okay. But he set his face to seek the Lord, and he prayed. He prayed a prayer of faith. He sought the Lord, okay? He looked to the Lord, and the Lord answered. He said, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat, yes, you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, they're intimidated. Don't worry about it. Go out. Why? Because I will be with you. That settles the matter. What, think about it. What confidence, what assurance, what peace. Our only strength is the Lord. He is our shield. He is our mighty fortress as Luther gave us those great lyrics. It's his presence and his favor that assures victory. It's as much as it is today as it was back in the days of Joshua or David or the kings or Joseph, right? In fact, to Joshua, the Lord said, no man shall be able to stand before you. Why? Because you're so strong, Joshua? No. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. No wonder Paul exclaims in that marvelous ending to Romans chapter 8, which I love so dearly, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? We are indeed more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the key to Joseph's victory over temptation. Remember chapters 38 and 39 we looked at 38 last week. These are not chronological. They're happening at the same time. You've got this, this picture of what's going on with Judah among the Canaanites. At the same time, we have this picture of what's going on with Joseph among the Egyptians. Okay? Both went down during the same period. But the narrator says nothing about the Lord being with Judah. But he says very specifically, the Lord was with Joseph. And in fact, Judah fell into gross immorality. The very sin, did I say that right? Judah fell into immorality, the very sin that Joseph 
resisted. See, if you're not seeking the Lord constantly, daily, in His Word, in prayer, in fellowship, in study, in worship, don't be surprised if you're spiritually weak. Don't be surprised if you find yourself falling into the traps, giving into temptation, sinning. You can't be a Sunday-only Christian. This is not just the only time you must be seeking the Lord. It doesn't work. If you're not seeking Him constantly, abiding in Christ, praying without ceasing, you're going to be weak. You're going to fall when, you, when temptation comes to you. You're not going to be faithful. I mean, if God is our strength, or since God is our strength, how will you be strong if you don't abide in Him? And since the flesh is weak, how will you not succumb to temptation if you don't seek the one who strengthens your spirit? And what's amazing is when God is present in your life, even those outside the church will take notice. Look at verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. That was true of David as well. Saul saw David's life, and Saul knew that the Lord was with David. People recognized when God was present with his people. And so Joseph sought the Lord, and the Lord's blessing was upon him and upon the house of Potiphar because of Joseph. Okay, so how would Joseph handle this new position this authority, this even a little bit of prestige, I suppose, okay? God was about to test him. In fact, Psalm 105 actually offers an inspired commentary on this. The psalmist says, first of all, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And then up to verse uh, 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested him. Now we're told that Joseph was a good-looking man. Okay, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was in his prime, he was about, about 28 years old at this time. He was a grown man, of course, but he was never married. And he had now lived in Egypt for over a decade. Okay, so he had been immersed in Egyptian culture. He had been surrounded by Egyptian people, observing their ways, seeing how they lived, okay, for over a decade. And he had been away from his family for all those years. And suddenly his master's wife, perhaps a very attractive woman, I don't know, but suddenly this woman invites Joseph into her bedroom. And it was actually more of a demand than it was a request. Remember, Joseph is still a slave. He's really still a servant under the authority 
of his superiors. And so he was being tested by temptation. Now think about the strength of that temptation. This was no little temptation. Remember, we can at least assume that Joseph had a natural God-given desire for an intimate relationship with a woman. I mean, he was 28 years old. He was a man, okay? He probably wanted to be married someday. He had seen women, noticed women. They were attracted, no doubt, okay, desirable. He was a man. And here was this woman that wanted to be intimate with him. He could have found ways to justify it easily. Well, you know, God gave me this longing. God gave me this opportunity. Certainly, he wants me to do this thing, right? She clearly has a bad marriage. Clearly, it's not a serious marriage, as some today appear to allege, okay? I'm lonely. Here's a chance for me, okay? Here's a, here's a relationship, a friendship, right? Didn't God say it's not good for man to be alone? Here it is, okay? Maybe I can do great things if I lie myself with a powerful woman. And then there's the clincher. Everyone else is doing it. I mean, come on, this is Egyptian. This is Egypt. This is normal. I mean, purists haven't been invented yet, okay? They're still waiting in England somewhere. And then there's that great philosophy. How could it be wrong when it feels so right? Didn't we grow up with that, some of us, right? Furthermore, he probably wouldn't be found out. He was away from home for years, estranged from his family. Okay, his father had no idea he was even alive, much less what he was doing. And on this occasion, at least, no one was in the house. No one was around. No witnesses. Who would discover them? You know, getting caught is a pretty powerful resistance to sin or to doing wrong. But when you're pretty sure you won't be caught, or maybe when those who catch you won't care, it's easier to give in to the temptation. That's why sometimes when none of our students, of course, but sometimes when other people's kids go off to college, they go crazy because they're suddenly away from the authority of the home and the parents, okay? Another reason is that refusing this woman could have been very costly to Joseph. She was the wife of a powerful man. If she got angry at Joseph, she could make life miserable for him, you know? Maybe it's better to keep her happy. You know, he couldn't risk his future security you know, God's Word still needed to be fulfilled. He had to be available somehow to fulfill God's Word. You know, it's fascinating to me that Joseph was tempted in this particular area, the area of immorality, for it's an area where, well, men are particularly weak. And, okay, women too. And Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. Well, of all temptations common to men and people, this is it. And so Mrs. Potiphar's invitation, this temptation, would have been very powerful indeed. Many men would have fallen. Many have fallen. Many you know. You know, these are really dangerous times that we live in. I'm glad I'm not a young man, because people are brazen these days. There's so little respect for marriage, so little regard for morality. And you have adultery and, and fornication and promiscuity depicted in TVs and, and movies. They're glamorized and normalized. It's so, it's everywhere. And then you have magazines and 
Other things encouraging lust and promiscuity. Popular music. The internet with its easy access to pornography. Countless marriages have been destroyed as a result of this. And there's so much pressure out there on young men and young women. Everyone is doing it. You don't want to be the only one, right? It's hard to find examples of, mur- of moral purity and marital faithfulness today. Not always even in the church. You know, when I was a pastor in California, it amazed me of all the, this is, I don't think this is true here, but of all the families in our Orthodox Presbyterian Church in California, there were maybe four or five, including Barbara and me, who had been married one time and never been divorced. I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm just saying it's hard to find these examples because promiscuity and adultery and unfaithfulness, it's, it's just normal. It's, it's even loving. You know, in August 1969, about two hours south of where I lived at the time, was a historic event called Woodstock. And that was the presentation of, among other things, free sex, right? Well, 50 years later, by a few months, there's a sort of a repeat of that up in New York State this August. 50 years later, what was revolutionary, what was shocking, is now mainstream. It's mainstream American culture. Beloved, it must never be mainstream, not for those who profess to be following Christ. Let me ask you to consider the very sober warning in Proverbs chapter 7 regarding the adulterous woman. It ends this way. Her house, her bedroom, so to speak, is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. The wise men tells us this regarding that young man that was following after the adulterous woman. The the writer says, he does not know. It will cost him his life. Peter warns us that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Well, I think there's no stronger temptation that the devil offers than immorality. Many have fallen, but Joseph was faithful. I think another reason perhaps Joseph was tempted in this way is because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And Joseph, therefore, as a type of Christ we've talked about in the past, really foretells of Christ's faithfulness to God the Father and to the church. Christ was faithful. He is a faithful bridegroom to His church. But immorality can never be a picture of Christ and the church. It cannot be a picture of of Christ and the church. Let me be honest with you. What, of what is it a picture? Well, you can look at places like Revelation chapter 17, 18, and 19. And there it's a picture of spiritual adultery or idolatry. It's a picture of someone pursuing gods other than Jehovah. For example, in chapter 18, verse 3, 
For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. You know, you simply cannot both abide in Christ and be engaged in some form of immorality. If you are abiding in Christ, that nearness, that closeness of God's presence will keep you from immorality. That's why Paul said, flee sexual immorality. It's what Joseph did. He went outside. He got away. He left his garment. He took off. He ran. He headed for the hills, right? Because he was committed to God. He said, how can I do this? Great wickedness and sin against God. Oh, he could have blamed God, perhaps, for putting him in Egypt to begin with. But no, he was faithful. He said, how can I, how can I do this? How can I sin in this way? Well, as Jesus, when he was tempted, he said, it is written. God's word settled the matter. And that's how it was for Joseph. God said it. God declared it. It must be that way for you and for me. God said it. That settled it for all times, in all circumstances. Okay? We must be committed to God and to His Word. But that begins by knowing who we are in Christ. Okay? I actually didn't ask the, the group to lead us in the hymn, Holy, 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 this morning. They chose that. How providential. God is holy, holy, holy. And because He is, we are His holy children. Peter says, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me tell you this. Immorality is forbidden not to deprive you of fun or enjoyment or good times, but because it's poison to your soul. It will drive you away from God, whether you know it or not. Revelation 21, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And listed first is sexual immorality. And Paul says, I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you this, the presence of God will drive you away from immorality. Or immorality will drive you away from the presence of God. Because when you dwell in the presence of the holy God, He draws you into His holiness. Paul said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the lesson of this chapter is you must always seek to dwell in the holy presence of God because apart from that presence which is your strength, you will be weak. You will fall. Joseph resisted Mrs. Potiphar because he was committed to the Word of God. 
and how glad we are that it points us to a Savior who was committed to the Word of God. If Jesus had sinned even one time in thought or in word or in deed, He could be no one's Savior. It's interesting to me that some allege, some non-Christians, people in the media, allege that Jesus did what? He had an affair. He was promiscuous with Mary or whoever. Okay? No, he was faithful. He never sinned even one time. If he did, he could be no one's savior. But he passed the test. He never gave in. And he is therefore able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like Jehoshaphat, draw near with confidence knowing that His presence will give us the victory. Okay? In your strength, you will fall, but in His presence, you will stand strong because the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Oh Lord, forgive us of times when we are proud and arrogant and think we are self-sufficient, when we think we are strong because your word says, he who thinks he stands, he shall fall. Let us be aware. Let us be humble. Oh Lord God, let us know our weakness and affirm our weakness. We are vulnerable to temptation, especially this one especially now when it's everywhere around us and there's tremendous pressure to sin. Even marriage is no longer sacred, no longer a holy place. Oh, Lord God, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, if there are those who have sinned in this way, and no doubt all of us have lusted, all of us have uh, pursued wrong things that time, oh God, Thank you that there's forgiveness in Christ. And I pray that you would cause each one of us to flee to Christ. And in that, fleeing from temptation, Lord, strengthen us by your presence, by your spirit dwelling within your people. And Lord, especially protect the young people. Deliver them from these youthful passions. Oh God, protect them in a very brazen and arrogant and wicked world. Thank you that we are not alone, that indeed we can have confidence in the presence of Christ. And we pray in His name. Amen.